Before we begin, um, since our scripture that we read earlier was a complimentary text, uh, I'd like to read the entire uh, text today from our passage in the first epistle of John chapter 2. We'll pick up where we left off last week, the first letter of John chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This passage at first glance seems a little bit unclear, doesn't it? What does John mean? I'm not writing a new commandment to you. But on the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you. It's not an old one, but it's a new one. It really causes a person to think, doesn't it? But after you know, praying and meditating for some time, as, as well as some advice from some of the commentators out there, and, and there is some discussion on what he's talking about here, there's, there's a little bit of uh, variance. I finally think I got a handle on this passage, the interpretation of it. That's very important, because if you don't get the interpretation right, then you won't get the application right. And if you don't get the application right, then we won't see a changed life. The Spirit of God uses the Word to apply to our lives. That's what we come to the Bible for. It's not just to acquire technical information, facts, and figures. We come to be changed into the likeness of Christ. And that's why John wrote us this epistle. And we can see this all affirmed from the verse just previous to our passage today, verse 6. It says, The one who, who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Our goal is to walk as Christ walked. Now, if you remember last week, our previous passage talked about keeping the commandments. We're exhorted to to keep his commands. So after an exhortation to walk as Christ walked now, John is going to redirect our attention to a very specific commandment. Look with me again at verse 7. It says, Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. What we must first discern in this text is that the old and new terminology is referring to the same commandment. Don't be confused into thinking that he first points to an old commandment that was, and now there's some completely different commandment in effect today. No, what what John is telling us in verse 7 
is that he wants us to appreciate an old commandment that's, by the way, been true in the Word of God from the beginning, it says, right? But as you progress to verse 8, that same commandment has been made new. It's been made new. And that's in the fact that it's true about Christ, it says, and it's also true about the Christian. So let me rephrase this in other terms. John's writing about a commandment that's been true from the beginning, and it was evident early in the written word of God, and somehow it's been made new and true, truly observed in Christ himself. Not only that, but it's also observed in you. So think back now, thinking about scriptures and, and thinking about Jesus' life, what commandment could John possibly be talking about here? What do you think? Are there any commandments that are old that Jesus focuses on himself, that kind of overshadow the rest of the commandments? This is actually a question that was asked of Jesus back in Matthew chapter 22. That text tells us that a lawyer asked Jesus a question testing him. It said, teacher, which is a great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, Jesus said. And then he said, The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So Christians realize that there's there's two great commandments, right? We know that. We're taught that in Sunday school. One is to love God and the other is to love your neighbor. Are these in any way old? How might they be old? Of course they're old. Jesus is quoting Leviticus chapter 19 when he says that. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These were originally given to Israel in the law. So so both of these qualify as very old commandments. In fact, they're as old as the law is itself. So we need to determine then whether either of these two ancient commands has some way been made new. Some way it could have been made new in Christ. So let's look at the immediate context of our passage in 1 John to see if if we might find some clues in this passage. Is John teaching us about loving God in this passage, or is he teaching us about loving our neighbors, our fellow man? Look at verse 9. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. So the old commandment that demands that we love our neighbors as ourselves is that ancient command that John is referring to. And really that that shouldn't surprise us at all. Even the, the unbelieving world, the people on the street will tell you that if there's one thing that they know about Jesus Christ, he taught that you love your neighbors as yourself, right? Everybody knows that. It it summarizes the teachings of Christ. It's love your neighbor as yourself that is the epitome of Christian living. This is the old commandment that John is talking about, that, that it's somehow been made new. But immediately we find a problem, and we've talked about this before. None of us has ever loved our neighbors as ourselves. 
I mean, I, I care about my neighbors. I have concern about my neighbors. I, I'd love for them to come to church. I, I'd love for them and pray for them to know Jesus Christ. Sometimes I'll wave at them. I'll share a kind word. Might even go and help them get the groceries out of their car. I can't say that I love my neighbor as myself. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Are you as concerned about building their retirement portfolio as you are about your own? No. (laughs) Honesty. I love it. No. No one has ever loved their neighbor as themselves. But there was one. There there was one, yes. um, I do recall a person who actually did love his neighbors as himself. Not only his neighbors as himself, he even loved his enemies as much as himself. He loved them enough so that he would even die an excruciating death on a cross so that they would have a path for the forgiveness of their sins. So who could possibly have fulfilled this commandment? Jesus. Of course, Jesus... In him, we know verse 8 tells us that in him this commandment is made true. And the word for true here actually means that it's been made historically factual. Jesus Christ fulfilled this command. And he had to. Jesus had to keep the entire law. This was written in God's word. If it was a command, Jesus had to keep it. Or else he would have been deficient in some way. He was the one who truly loved his neighbors as himself. There was no degree of failure in him. Because God is what, love is what God is. Jesus loved as God loves because he's God. But we discover another problem as we look at this verse 8. It tells us this new commandment's not only true about Christ, but it's true about us as well. And why? Because darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. So we have to ask, is there any way that this command can be made true about me? Is there any way that can be made true about you? Also about Jesus? Scripture tells us that it can. Scripture says it can. And the answer lies in this word new. This commandment to love yourself has been made new. Love your neighbor as yourself has been made new. How so, you ask? The commandment is new because Jesus Christ made it new. Jesus said in John chapter 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is Jesus' new commandment that he announced. And he restates it again to this very same group of people on this very same occasion in John chapter 15. And here we can see it with even greater clarity. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay his life down for a friend. Right? So you remember this occasion. Who was Jesus talking to Who are the people he was talking to when he said this? You remember? The disciples. The disciples. And on what occasion was he speaking to them? 
This was the occasion of the Last Supper. This was his last hours on earth before he was going to go to the cross. And he is instructing his followers that he has a new commandment. It's made new. No one had ever loved their neighbors as themselves before Christ. No one's done so perfectly since Christ. But among whom could this commandment to love one another be made true? Who could it be realized amongst? His followers, right? He's saying love one another. To the followers, to the disciples, to those who are members of Christ's church, he says, love one another. That's how it's new. It's, it's identified again to a very specific group of people. It's not that we don't still love our neighbors, but there is a special love among God's people. That's how it's true about you. That's how it's true about me. And in our passage, John is calling us to have harmony within the local church. Are you able to love your brother and sister in the local church as Jesus loved us? Are you willing to give up yourself for your church members? I would say you are. I would say you can. And the Holy Spirit can empower you to do that. Jesus said in John 13, 14, If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did amongst you. Amen. So among God's people, you're going to find people who are willing to serve one another, right? Willing to give to one another and walk in that same manner that Jesus walked by washing one another's feet in a variety of, manner, of ways. Um, another illustration of how Christians love one another is realized through their generosity. Because of that power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, Christians will give toward one another. That's a model that was witnessed in the church in Corinth as, he, as Paul the Apostle gave testimony to the Macedonians. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, teaching that church there, he says, Now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. That giving to one another, that wanting to give, that urge is from the Holy Spirit. And I have to be honest, during my years of missionary work and other ministries and actively in the church here, I am astonished. I'm utterly astonished at the generosity that people have towards one another and towards Christ's church. You might ask, well, aren't, aren't unbelievers generous as well? Not towards Christ's church. And that's what's most remarkable about the Christian, is that overall when we give, we don't want recognition for giving, right? What's that? We don't want to be recognized for giving. We don't desire memorials to be erected in our names. We just want to relieve burdens where there are burdens, right? That's loving one another. It's not about recognition. That's not evident outside the church. 
Uh, generosity in the secular, secular world generally wants some kind of remu- remun- excuse me, remuneration. Either a plaque on a wall, a building named after them. You know, if they give a whole lot of money, maybe billions, now it's time to call a press conference, right? That's different than how it works in the church. Most of us, if possible, want to remain anonymous. There's no explanation for that except for the selfless giving, the love of Jesus Christ that lives among his people. But that's not the focus of our passage. What does all this love have to do with our text? They're evidences. This love is evidence. The new commandment of our Lord to love one another in the church has been and continues to be true amongst us. It proves we no longer walk in the darkness of the world. It's been blinded by Satan because verse 8 says that darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The light of God's love, his selfless love, his giving, his serving is already shining. The church we know is God's city on a hill. You cannot witness the love demonstrated in Christ's church and deny that there is a light that exists. We're that that beacon of hope to the world. Since its inception, the church has stood. It were like a lighthouse that stands on a hill, heralding the mercies of God through the gospel. Although the darkness is surely present in the world, we know that it's passing away. It means it's time's running short. The true light, the true light, that is already shining. So each time that the gospel is shared, each time one of you invites a person into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, each time you look to bring people into the fellowship of believers, into Christ's church, you act like a lifeguard who's casting out a life preserver to bring them in. Each time our light shines through our church, that testimony will either be accepted or it will be rejected, right? We expect that. The light will shine, either people will accept it or they'll reject it. The opening verses of the Gospel of John says, In him, meaning in Jesus, was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There are people, because they're blinded by their sin, they're going to fail to comprehend the light. Some of them are even going to turn their back on the light. But that doesn't mean that the light isn't shining. That doesn't mean that the light is extinguished. Many of you remember from our outreach this spring that over half of the people that we approached in some way or another, some form, received a witness to the gospel, either talking to them personally, handing them a tract, inviting them to church, giving them a connection card. More than half would receive some form of that light as we shined it out. And we'll continue to shine that light. That's what John is calling us to in the church here. We'll see in the next couple verses. Is to be harmonious in shining that light as brightly as we can into the community. Are you a light? Are you shining? 
This will be now the next litmus test of whether or not you're a Christian. Remember, in the last passage, we had that litmus test of whether or not you wanted to keep his commandments. Did you have any urge to keep his commandments? No urge, no life, darkness. Here now we have another litmus test. Are you shining? Are you here helping the church to shine as brightly as the church can shine? Do you love your brothers and your sisters in Christ, first off, he says, or have you entered, as many had in these churches to whom the Apostle Paul is writing now, this had happened, are you entering to dim the light? That's the contrast that we're going to see. And the reason I ask is is because you can be blinded, as the passage says, and not even know the answer to that question. You might not even know why you're here. Are you here to shine a light? Are you here to just dim a light? You know, I've, uh, I don't think I've gotten to share these yet. I have a couple photos. I love this type of stuff. Over the years, I've owned a couple different trucks, and this is one of them. The other one didn't look near as nice as this. But uh, for a season, you know, I've enjoyed working with trucks and tractors all my life being raised on a farm. And there was an opportunity to uh, put a truck in the oil field. Didn't have to buy a trailer. Just had to have a truck and a driver. So I ended up, a few years ago, putting a truck out in the North Dakota oil field to haul crude oil. And I had a driver, in fact, it's interesting, he sent me a, a Facebook friend message just this morning, and I was already going to bring this up. I hadn't talked to him for quite a long time. And um, he would drive for me, and then I would go relieve him so he could have time at home, because there are long days, long hours. So you'd haul crude oil in a trailer similar to this, and the company owned the trailer, and you'd hook up to the trailer and haul it from place to place. And you'd go uh, pick it up at well sites. This is western North Dakota now in the Badlands. This is in the middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. Here's another one, an active well site where they're drilling. One more here. There's a well site in another location in the Badlands. And one thing you need to know about these sites, they're very isolated. I mean, you are in the middle of nowhere, Phone service doesn't work. CB sure doesn't work. And you're out in these places that there might not be anyone for miles. You might be in snow. So here's what I did. On the front of the truck there, I don't know if you can see well, but on that front push bar there, I mounted four lights. And these weren't lights like you got at Walmart. These were the real lights. I mean, they'd cut through quarter-inch steel. And as you'd go out to these remote sites... You'd be able to angle these and light up the well site before you even got there, even though there's nothing else around. And in these trucks like this, they have batteries in parallel, several batteries working together, wired together to shine those lights bright so when you need them, they're available. Even when the truck is shut off with all those batteries working together, with all these lights, you could have it out there shining bright. But sometimes you have a problem. Sometimes the wire would get loose. What do they call that? Short. And what would happen to the light? The truck running or not running, those lights flicker, right? 
it just kind of flickered. And you're out there in the middle of nowhere, and that light just isn't shining. It's of no use to you. Well, in the next couple verses, John is going to present a couple of dispositions that we might have that will help us to determine whether or not we are increasing the amperage of that light so it shines brighter. Whether, we're a, whether we are plugging in in parallel to shine as brightly as possible or if we're short in the system. All right? Christ's church wants to get more lumens, right? Wants to be brighter, wants to shine the gospel because we want to shine as brightly as we can to our neighbors. So we look in the mirror this morning. Scripture is always that mirror and we observe ourselves, find out whether or not we have anything hanging out of our nose, right? That's the way it works. And the Word of God is that mirror and helps us to examine. So here we go. Verse 9. Look with me. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. Here we're in the context of a local church. We're not, this isn't family relations. This isn't brothers and sisters by blood. These are spiritual relationships in a local body of Christ. And it describes the relationships of people who've yoked themselves together in a specific church. And all these people have heard Jesus' new commandment, right? Love one another. And verse 9 tells us that there are going to be some of these that will say, and there are in every church in every age throughout history, Yet we're plugging in the light, they'll say. We're shining. But at the same time, it says that that individual hates his brother or sister. John assures us this is not only an inconsistency, it's an impossibility. That person, John says, is in the darkness until now. One interesting phrase. They're in the darkness until now. What John is saying is that they're not in and out of the light. They're not on and off. They've never exited out of the darkness. They've never been illumined by the gospel. Now, they claim to be in the light, as you can see. They attend church. They probably carry their Bible. They might even have a ministry of some kind. But they hate their brother. They hate their sister. They're in the darkness, and the love of Christ, that command, that new commandment, is not in them. And and instead of being plugged in so that light can shine, they're short in the system. They're short in the system. And and the word here for hate, very strong word, the definition actually means hostility. It's defined even as hostility, get this, toward those with whom you dwell, like in your own household. Isn't that amazing he uses this word? It's repeated in the Bible uh, many times to indicate those who really disdain God and those who are righteous in Him. Jesus used the word in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Same word. So concerning our passage here, in their heart, this type of person harbors hate towards those who belong to Christ. That's because they themselves are still in the darkness. Yet in this context, we see they actually come to church. They refer to the people in the church as brothers, right? They've identified them as that. 
And it's absolutely amazing. How, how self-deceived can you be? But what does Jeremiah 17.9 say? The heart is desperately wicked, right? Above all things, who can understand it? The heart is a, can be a dark place. This is a picture of an unregenerate heart. How, how does this type of person demonstrate their hate? How is it manifest? I mean, it obviously isn't, isn't visible hostility, right? Because so we aren't seeing it visibly. Um, yet, verse 9 doesn't explicitly tell us, does it? But verse 10 provides the answer, I would say. Look there. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you've noticed that a, a very favorite teaching mechanism of the Apostle John is to contrast opposites. Remember, love, hate, light, darkness, truth, the lie, right? He's always, through, through only just this first chapter and a half we've been in, he's contrasting things like evil and good. So look at me in verse 10, where John describes the characteristic of, characteristics of a person who actually loves. It says, the one who loves his brother abides in the light. Notice, he's actually plugged into the circuit, right? And there is no cause for stumbling in him. So the one who abides in the light, that's the one who does not cause others to stumble, right? So that would imply what about the person who hates his brother? Wants him to stumble. Wants the brother or sister to stumble. This person, he or she works to cause others to stumble. That's how it is manifest. And John uses a very graphic word here for stumble. It it means a trap or a snare used to cause a fall, to make something unstable. And the Greek word is scandalon. What English word do you think might have eventually developed out of that? Scandal. Scandalon. Rather than following Christ's commands to love brothers and sisters... This, per- this person is preoccupied with scandal on. Their heart takes pleasure, you know, in seeing people trip. That's why the text says that they hate their brother. Um, you know, a program might be doing well. They're skilled at exposing a small pit, a small bit of problem. Um, they seek out to find that problem. They say, what do you think of that problem, rather than, looking at what's going well. They demotivate. They drain voltage off from the system. When the church gets excited about something that's going on, something where that light is going to be shining positive, this person would rather reach over and pull a plug. That's in their heart. You don't see this visibly, remember? It's in their heart. And the one who hates his brother or sister doesn't want to see him or her succeed. They put out things to trip over. And, and you know, they, they aren't really excited about the good things that are going on. They don't want anyone else to be either. They don't want to volunteer. Um, they really won't shine the light to their neighbors. They won't invite them to church. They won't tell them about where they're worshiping. They won't click likes on Facebook to try and get that into their circle of friends and see, look what's going on. These are the types of things. They don't want that light to shine. They really don't care if anyone gets drawn to the light of the gospel or not. When the good things are happening, they actually would prefer in their hearts to see failure. 
That's the heart condition. No wonder scripture says they walk in the darkness. So a couple questions. Why does John expose this problem? Obviously it was happening in the church there. There are a couple reasons. First, God wants people to look at their hearts and their motives. They want us to examine our condition. You know, a person can attend church for years. Many of us have seen this and never be saved. Come to faith years after becoming, coming to church. They need to trust Christ. If you really don't like your brothers and sisters... If you really don't like the gospel going forth, if you're not excited about that, that's a dangerous condition, John would say. They need to trust Christ. The second reason that John writes this is because the stumbling activity is detrimental to the gospel light that shines at that church. They short-circuit the system. They draw energy off that beacon, and they drain the batteries low. All that remains after this is just kind of a light, dull flicker of a light. This person who actually prefers darkness, we see, um, they say to that barely flickering light, yeah, that's about right. I like it like that. Yeah, that's good. And that light becomes ineffective to drawing anyone to Christ. To illustrate in the terms of the gospel, and we'll close. Imagine an unsaved person being represented as a boat offshore, and it's being tossed to and fro by the sea. Waves are coming in, the boat's taking on water, the captain is concerned, storm clouds are coming. That captain's distressed. He's frantically trying to find a way that is safe to shore. He wants to get to shore safely. And there's dangerous rocks. There might be reefs. It's dark out. The rain clouds make it hard to see. And imagine that he looks out towards the shore. He sees a little flicker. There's a flicker there where he, he thinks there's supposed to be a lighthouse but the vertigo and everything from, from the tossing of the sea and everything that makes him unsure. He's like, I don't know if I can trust that light. It's unreliable. It's inconsistent. It's unpredictable. He's not sure if he can land safely in that direction. But instead, in contrast to that, imagine, now during these same stores, storms, a captain looks towards the shore, and there stands bright and tall... A bright, consistent, beaming light. And he says, I know that is a lighthouse. I know that represents stability. It's trustworthy. Which of these two lights would that person be willing to be drawn to? Well, folks, there's a whole lot of people out there that are being tossed to and fro by the sea. They're desperate. They're demoralized. They're deceived. They're just looking for a safe place to land. They want to be somewhere where there's love, the love of Christ, where love is demonstrated towards one another, where they know it's safe. 
It's our responsibility as individual Christians to encourage and assist and sharpen one another so that light, so that it burns as brightly as it possibly can into our community. Tonight, if you hadn't heard, that light is going to shine into Vacation Bible School for the youth in our community and the parents. And we're going to shine it as brightly as we can. And I would ask that you would pray for it, that you would encourage it, that you would volunteer if you are able. And take the gospel forth and shine that light into the world. If you're not drawn to the light, if you're not drawn to outreach, you don't really love the brothers and sisters, maybe ministry annoys you more than it excites you. Verse 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Your destination could be dark even though you don't know where you're going. You don't even see where you're being led. Don't be deceived into thinking you're in the light when you're real, in reality, you're in darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That light is available today. If you are visiting today, if you've been going to church here 10 years, the gospel is shining brightly, and today is the day of salvation, right? The scripture says, Trust that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, that he hung on a cross paying the penalty that was due for you. Then three days later, he rose again from the grave after being murdered. He rose in victory. Trust in him. Scripture says all that believe in him have eternal life. We're going to pray together for you now. If you don't know Christ, we're all going to pray together that your heart would be changed, that you come into a loving relationship with him. Will you join me? Lord, dear Father, you have conquered the darkness and its time is running out, Lord God. We are looking forward towards that day that Jesus Christ will return in glory, Lord. That he will gather together his chosen, Lord, those that he took out of the darkness in order to worship him for all eternity, Lord. And we pray here together that every single soul inside this building today, Lord, will trust in you or has trust in you, Lord. And if there's anyone who hasn't, we pray, Lord God, that they would come to realize the darkness that is in the human heart, the desperate need to know Jesus Christ, Lord God, and to be saved. Lord, we pray you send your Holy Spirit to do that work. Lord, we pray you have mercy today and shine your light in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.